welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we're back with another episode. Uh, I do have a couple of things that are worth mentioning. Um, it is springtime here in Canada and in the north, and if you are in the U.S. and Canada, um, actually even in Europe as well, uh, if you would like to join me for a spring detox, I will be doing a 10-day detox. Uh, I'll be doing it on myself as well, and uh, there'll be more details to follow probably on the next episode uh, where I'll actually have a place where you can register for a webinar because I would like to do an info session for that so you know exactly what you're getting into and you can make a decision from there whether you want to join us or not. So that's one thing. And if you are in the greater Toronto area, uh, you might want to mark your calendar for May 25th, where there will be the what was originally called the March Against Monsanto is now the March Against Bayer uh, rally. So uh, that'll be happening as well. I'll be speaking uh, along with a couple of other good speakers and uh, really turning up the heat. Uh, if you have not been paying attention to what's been going on out there, um, the discussion on glyphosate has really been ramping up and uh, another lawsuit has been won. Uh, I will be having Kerry Gillum coming up on a future podcast where we sort of dive into those cases and talk about her book, Whitewashed. So May 25th, uh, the March Against Bayer rally. Uh, you definitely want to get down for that. Should be a good time. All uh, right. So on to today's episode. And my good friend and colleague, Joy McCarthy, joins me today. Uh, many of you, especially local listeners here in Canada, are probably quite familiar with Joy. She is uh, an extraordinary blogger, nutritionist. Um, she has written a couple of cookbooks. She's written a book on eczema, has appeared all over the show when it comes to uh, media, um, both TV, in-person, uh, radio. She's really everywhere. And, um, you know, a lot of you might be familiar with her work, and she sort of shifted her focus um, over the last few years onto uh, children's health. And that's really what the topic for today is, uh, raising resilient children. And raising resilient children, really, we dive into a few key areas. Uh, one of the areas, uh, we talk about the overuse of antibiotics. Uh, we don't dwell on that too much, but uh, definitely a topic that comes up, and I'm sure many parents out there can relate to that. Uh, we do talk about exercise and the importance and some of the physiological and uh, you know mental, emotional uh, impacts that that has. And of course, we spend the majority of our time uh, looking at children and diets. So talking about things like sugar, uh, microbiome, uh, we touch on the food guide very briefly. Uh, so we really cover a lot of ground in this episode and Joy really offers up some uh, pretty awesome tips. Uh, I know I learned a lot and uh, it was really great to sit down and have a discussion, especially if both of us have kids that are roughly the same age. Uh, towards the end of the podcast, we do talk about um, Joy's new products. So she does work with Genuine Health and uh, they've just come out with a kids line and Joy has sort of been partnered up with them, uh, helping them to develop that. So uh, yeah, stay tuned till the end where you can learn more about the uh, products that she's developed. And of course, check the show notes as well for direct links to her site and to uh, those products. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing, reviewing, sharing, and basically doing anything you can do to help me get the word out. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And here is Joy McCarthy.
Hey, Joy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. It is great to actually sit down with you and chat. We've known each other for quite a long time and uh, moved in the same circles, gone to the same schools. So um, this is really the first time that we're sitting down and uh, having a chat about uh, raising resilient children. And I know that's a special area of interest for you. Um, You know, you write a lot about that sort of stuff on your blog. Um, Our kids are actually roughly the same age. My son is now three. Right. Yeah, so I think, you know, we'll have a great discussion about all of this and, uh, uh, you know, hopefully our listeners as well will really learn a lot. So I want to sort of open things up, um, you know, and and just really sort of give you the mic. And when you talk about raising resilient children, um, are there sort of like key areas that you you usually sort of touch on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as a parent, it's really our job to cultivate... Uh, resilience in our children and also to be the example so it's not just you know encouraging our children to eat more fiber and more vegetables and you know less fast food but also just being the example I hear that so many times from parents you know oh I can't get my kid to eat vegetables and I say well do you eat vegetables and when they say no I'm, I'm really not surprised so as a parent a we need to be the example b we need to cultivate um resilience in our children so that they are able to, um, you know, really thrive in life and be able to, you know, adapt to stressors that life throws at us. And our diet, what we're eating on a daily basis, um, how much we move, how much time we spend in front of screens, um, how often we take antibiotics, all of these different factors come into play. Uh, when it comes to your resilience. Mm. So, so, yeah. so, so, so from a sort of macroscopic thousand foot view, you know, <laughs> what, what does resilience really mean to you? And how has this changed, um, you know, as we've sort of moved into the modern era where there's Wi-Fi everywhere, as you said, screens, um, increased toxins, you know, poor quality food. How, how do you feel that resiliency has really changed Um, Well, that's a great question. So resilience to me in children specifically are children who, um, you know, if they do get sick a couple times a year, they're able to bounce back. You know, they don't have a cough for six weeks. Um, But beyond just avoiding disease, uh, I think resilience is seeing children who are really thriving. You know, they have a great attention span in school. They're actually, you know, interested in learning. Perhaps they're not, you know, academically inclined because not everyone loves math and English. But people who are just children, sorry, who are interested in life, who are engaged, um, who who don't get sick all the time. So I think, you know, I like to come back to the immune system point because resilient children uh, are not being constantly beat up by a cold and a flu. And I think that it has changed a lot over the years. I think, you know, kids, unfortunately, the average child, the average North American child is not as resilient as, say, mm-hmm. our grandparents and our great-grandparents used to be, you know, before processed foods came in and, and before children were spending, you know, way too much time sitting in front of a screen. So children nowadays, um, sadly, I don't mean to be negative, but sadly, they're just not as resilient. And I see this, you know, in my daughter's, in my daughter's school. Um, I see this, you know, when I talk to my friends who have kids, you know, a flu is going around and then all of a sudden everybody is taken down by it. It doesn't mean you never get sick. I get sick, 
Vienna, my three and a half year old gets sick and getting sick is part of growing up, right? Training your immune mm, system. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, you know, especially when they're younger, um, I, I mean, my son is in daycare and these kids are always sick, you know, so yes. I find in the winter, especially he tends to get not, not sick a lot, you know, not like deathly ill where he can't yeah. go to school, but he's always got like the runny nose and, you know, it's a little bit stuffed up and that, but I feel like it really is training and building his immune system. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, with my daughter, for example, who's almost 12, uh, she, that was the same sort of trajectory, but now with diet, with exercise, with all of the stuff that we're going to talk about, she doesn't really get sick all that often. And That's so great. I feel like in those formative years, you know, that is really exercising the immune system, but obviously yes. they should sort of outgrow that um, and not just be perpetually sick, um, you, you know, through, throughout the school career. Um, so, so let's, so I guess let's start off, you know, you sort of, uh, threw out some umbrella terms there and I would like to start off with environment. Um, you know, you yeah. mentioned things like screens, we've spoken a little bit about toxins, but for you, what do you feel are the most sort of pressing issues from, from an environmental standpoint on kids' resiliency? I would definitely say too much screen time. You know, kids from birth to eight years old spend an average of two hours and 17 minutes in front wow. of screens each day. And I'm a parent too, I know how hard it is um, to tear those screens away from your children, but it's very damaging to their eyes. Um, when, we are when we're exposed to blue light, it basically shuts down melatonin. So right. it's, it's going to affect their sleep. And when kids are not getting enough sleep, they can't pay attention in school. They're not gonna be you know, interested in eating as well. Uh, and there's so many negative effects of this, you know, being attached to your screen. And even in children, children are now being diagnosed with computer vision syndrome. Huh, wow. So, um, you know, a diet, certain foods that you eat for sure, which we'll talk about soon, I'm sure, can mm -hmm. also can help protect the retina from the damaging effects of blue light. Uh, so of course there's that angle doing things to help prevent, but I think first and foremost, having healthy rules around how much screen time. Now I just came back from Vancouver and on the flight, my daughter watched movies for most of the time. Um, but that is the exception when we are at home, she does not have, I think if she's watching like Llama Llama or Paw Patrol, I'm pretty sure those shows do not exceed like 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a rule for no more than 25 minutes. The other challenge is that when kids, you know, are sitting in front of screens, they're not moving. So yeah. more screen time means less green time, even though it's not green outside right now. Um, <laughs> it means less nature. And then of course, all of the chemicals in our environment you know, if you look at it from, if we just look at personal care products uh, that are in our environment that have estrogens and these hormone disruptors, phthalates and parabens, um, petrochemical-based chemicals, formaldehyde-releasing agents, all of these chemicals that could be in everything and anything from the body wash that you use, the bubble bath, uh, the oil that you slather on your child, um, you know, people who have babies, depending on what they're, you're putting on their skin, our skin is our largest organ. Uh, and, you know, what goes on the skin can get into the body. It's a faster route um, mm -hmm. to our bloodstream, as you know, than actually eating it. 
So yeah. these factors are hampering our children's resilience as well and can be affecting their brain development uh, and so much more. So those are kind of the key things. And then also, of course, antibiotics. Um, antibiotics and, the, you know, the over-sanitization that people still feel um, is extremely important. And even in our, in our health bubble, sometimes I have to, like, burst my own bubble and be like, no, the average person, if their doctor is recommending antibiotics, that is likely what they're going to follow that advice. Now, I'm not saying anyone should go against what their doctor says. All I'm saying mm -hmm. is that if you have been advised to give your child antibiotics for bronchitis, know that bronchitis is like almost always a viral infection, then that antibiotic is not going to do anything. And you know, the research has shown that children who took antibiotics in the first six months of life are actually two times more likely to, to develop asthma by the age of four. So I think wow. it's up to us as parents say, hey, wait a minute, you know, do you think my child, what do you, do you think my child actually has a bacterial infection, therefore needs an antibiotic? Because antibiotics not going to differentiate between the good and bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so just ask, you know, it doesn't have to be, parents, I think, are sometimes nervous challenging their doctor. I don't think it's about challenging them. I think it can be done in a way that's not confrontational. And just say, hey, you know what, um, I would really like to try and avoid antibiotics do you really think it's 100% necessary? I have done that with Vienna. That's my daughter's name. She's now three and a half and she's not been on an, and she has not been on a single antibiotic as yet. Mm -hmm. um, and that's virtually unheard of, like outside of health circles. And yeah. you know, I don't want parents to feel bad. Like don't feel bad if your kid, you know, has had multiple ear infections, you know, knowledge is power. And now that you, you know, when you listen to this whole podcast, you'll get lots of great, tips and I, I just really don't want parents to feel bad about it. It's not, you're not ruining the health of your child. It's just good to have this information and, and to ask these questions to your doctor. Well, yeah, I, th I think that there's, um, you know, we, a few people can argue that we have really over-prescribed antibiotics, um, you know, add, add to that, that we are also using antibiotics in meat, um, so, you know, if you're yeah. not eating organic meat um, or grass-fed meat, you basically are getting low-dose antibiotics in the food, which, uh, you know, 75% of all antibiotics made actually go to animal feed. Um, a lot right. of people don't, don't realize that. And so when you're getting low-dose antibiotics through the feed, it doesn't kill all of the bad bacteria or bacteria. It kills some. And yeah. so you start breeding you know, antibiotic resistant, um, bacteria in the gut. But, you know, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, my son also hasn't had any antibiotics. He hasn't really needed it, um, despite being sick. And I just feel that, you know, if you, you're right. You know, a lot of, um, parents, you know, we all, we all have our best intentions, you know, for our, our children, but the, the scare tactics, you know, basically saying, Hey, you should take antibiotics. And, you know, once you get on that cycle, um, you know, I've had clients in their twenties who have been on rounds and rounds and rounds of antibiotics. And what it sort of sets you up, um, especially repeated rounds of antibiotics really sets you up for, uh, an immune deficiency, if you will, or a weakened immune system. And you kind of never really get off that hamster wheel. Um, so, you know, we're going to come back to that in a little bit, Joy, because I know we want to talk about, um, a new product that you've helped develop. So we'll come back to the probiotics and antibiotics yeah, for sure. in a little bit, but you know, um, I want to sort of move things on a little bit because, you know, off air, we spoke about diets and I think that yeah. that is a huge, huge thing because, you know, I just want to preface this uh, a little bit. Um, 
you know, getting kids to eat the right thing is extremely challenging. I think there is not a parent on the planet who would disagree with that. And what tends to happen is we just sort of cave, right? We just sort of say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to force my kid to eat these foods. Um, And so we kind of throw our hands up and say, oh, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And again, that sort of sets us on on, on the path. So um, let's hop right into it. And one thing that we were talking about off air is the difference between what kids should be eating versus what they are actually eating. So let's sort of open it up with that. Yeah. So, well, interestingly, as you know, Canada's food guide was just updated. Mm -hmm. And I do actually, there is one really key recommendation that I do like that they have made to Canadians, and that's to fill half of your plate with plant-based foods, particularly vegetables and fruits. So that's all fine and dandy that they're recommending that. But the reality is that is not happening in Canadian homes. You know, Canadian children and teens, the plant-based foods that they eat, the the large majority of their diet is actually made up of juice and white potato. So they are, you know, getting very few phytonutrients. Mm -hmm. So phytonutrients being what gives food their taste, color, and texture. Right. Where, where, where does where does bread fit into that? Because I would I would imagine bread would be a very close third. Oh yeah, it definitely is. Yep. The top two foods being juice and white potato, followed by grains, grains, more grains, and of course wow. sugar. And we we wonder why diabetes rates are so high in children. I mean, it's basically yes. just high glycemic yes. foods all day long, right? And not enough green vegetables. Um, kids age two to eight are getting like a third of a single serving of anything green. So they're definitely not eating vegetables, not eating green vegetables. Canadian teen boys consume 18 times more calories from fast food than adults. Oh, wow. wow. Okay, that's crazy. So 18 times more calories from fast foods than adults? Eight times, eight times, yes. Eight times, okay, wow. Um, 55%, these are just all different facts. I've been like talking about this for days, so it's all Awesome, well, it means it's nice and fresh, so keep it going. (laughs) 55% of Canadian children, their intake is from ultra-processed foods like soft drinks, mass-produced bread, fast food, candy, snacks, fruit drinks, um, and then not enough fiber. You know, we see Candace Food Guide, obviously the beautiful plate there, even though Candace Food Guide still has a, lo- a long ways to go, but yep. they are recommending getting food, sorry, fiber from plant-based foods and kids are not meeting those recommendations, not meeting the recommendations for getting enough omegas. Um, up to 84% of kids consume less than one serving of fish or seafood per week. Uh, so they're not getting those brain building nutrients and it's so incredibly important from birth to age four or five to be getting those good fats because your brain, a child's brain has rapid growth development and is basically adult size by age four or five. So if they Mm. like, where are they getting their fats to build a healthy brain? If they're not getting them from taking a fish oil and or eating fish. And then finally um, not getting enough vitamin D, you know, that's Mm. a, a problem in, grown-ups and adults as well uh, because well there's a variety of reasons why that is you know people slather on the sunblock they're not spending enough time outside because their children could potentially be you know constantly exposed to screens mm-hmm. and then not kids are not really eating fermented foods either so their microbiome um, is not being nourished on a daily basis certainly not being nourished with enough um, fruits and vegetables and then not getting enough fermented foods. You know, often parents think, oh, it's so weird. Like 
I don't say I don't eat sauerkraut. So would my kid eat sauerkraut? And, and they love it. <laughs> they do love it. You know what? I have not yet met a child who has not really loved it. I think it's like that sour taste. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they really like it, but they're getting their probiotics, if any, from you know sugar-laden yogurts. Mm-hmm. So the way I see it, um, I think there's sort of three main parts of a healthy diet that are missing in Canadian children. I don't think they're getting enough phytonutrients because they're not eating a rainbow of foods. They're just not, they're like, if the majority of what they eat is, you know, bread and white potato and juice, they're really lacking variety. They're lacking color, um, which, you know, cannot be offset by colorful juice, but they're lacking phytonutrients. They're lacking fiber because all these ultra processed foods that kids are eating contain very little, if any fiber whatsoever. And they're not getting enough fatty acids. You know, children have been found to have lower levels of EPA and DHA in their bodies than adults. Hmm. So this is what's happening right now with our North American kids. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, so it's, it's all good and well. I mean, we're sitting here speaking as parents as much as anything else. And, you know, I, uh, you know, come back to what I was saying earlier, um, I, I fully am aware that there are parents who are just simply not clued into what we're talking about. You know, that's obviously right. There's a lot of people who are outside of the health circle. They haven't really thought about these things. I get that. But, you know, what about the people that are aware of all of this and, you know, they're trying to do all the right things, but just having real issues with getting the right foods into their kids. You know what I'm saying? Like we, yeah. again, we might do the grocery shopping, we might do all the right stuff, but when it comes, you know, when it comes down to it, you sit your kid down at the table and put the plate of food in and they just say no. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, that so how, how, do, how do you feel like we can sort of navigate that a bit better? It's a great question. So I think you got to take a few steps back. I think it's all about creating habits that focus on togetherness. With children, I think it's really important to ask them what they want to eat, to actually take them grocery shopping with you, mm-hmm. to get them involved in, if you do meal planning, great. Get them involved in putting together what you're going to eat for the coming week. Having them choose out a recipe from a healthy cookbook that you love, and then actually making the meal together. Um, children who are involved in the meal planning and cooking and grocery shopping are far more interested in eating what you have put together than if you create a healthy meal and just put this healthy meal in front of them. So I think it really begins with building positive habits around food. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, I've heard lots of parents say to me, like when I've done like public talks and whatnot, they'll come up and say, you know, Joy, I am proof that you can change a teenager. I've met so many parents who have been like, you know, I have an eight year old or I have a 14 year old who, you know, has not, who has not been interested in food their whole life. And I've been trying so hard and trying so hard. And now they are into it and they're eating healthy. So I really feel like it doesn't matter what age your child is. It's worth, you know, if they haven't been eating healthy foods up until now, or, or they, you know, have not been eating a variety. I, I always like to say, you know what, it's never too late. Don't just like write it off and just, and just throw yeah. your hands up in the air and give up. So yeah. I think having your kids involved And then there's lots of like little tips, of course, things that, you know, different things you can do, you know, whether you're making a pasta sauce, you know, throwing in some more veggies in there or, you know, smoothies are so great, even for like little, like really little kids, like babies learning, 
um, how, you know, baby food introduction, like before Vienna was a year, and I'm sure you did this with your guys too. Before Vienna was a year, she was slurping back smoothies with tons uh-huh. <laughs> amazing local superfoods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she never, she doesn't know. It's never like, oh, eat this because it's healthy for you. And it's still mm-hmm. never like that. I still don't talk to Vienna like, you know, you should really eat this like it's healthy for you. Yeah, um, yeah. Be, sorry, because it's healthy for you. And then there's other changes you can, other subtle changes, you know, instead of like white pasta, you know, trying if, if white pasta is all your children have ever had, then moving to whole wheat organic pasta, then perhaps moving to a different type of pasta, maybe, you know, a chickpea pasta is, a, is for example, I think there's like 20. Yeah, those, those are actually really great. Um, yeah. I gotta say, because my kids love the pasta and we, we just never really do regular pasta at all. And it's not, you know, it's like once a week, twice a week kind of thing. But yeah. I found that the, that the ones that are made out of uh, chickpeas, black beans, lentils, and so on. I mean, if you look at the nutrition facts on the back, you'll see that they're loaded with fiber, loaded with protein, and they're quite low on the carbohydrate side of things, which is awesome. Yes. Uh, That's a great option. And, you know, I think it's all about, you know, if, if, if you're a parent listening now and you do, and your kid is like obsessed with like mac and cheese or white pasta, it's all about transitioning them slowly. You know, you're not just going to all of a sudden go from white pasta to chickpea lentil pasta. They are definitely going to hate it. Um, you have to do it. You have to transition slowly. Um, just like, and so with younger children, you know, for those of you who have babies and younger children, you're for sure at an advantage because they don't know any better. So, you know, starting with the chickpea pastas instead of starting with the white pasta is a really great place to start. So those are kind of some of my suggestions Mm -hmm. for, you know, how to make either the transition or just start out you know, start them off as on, you know, as healthy a diet as you can, but also a really important point to that is delicious food, delicious, yeah. delicious. I couldn't for the longest time get Vienna to eat broccoli and cauliflower. And so I'd give it to her raw. I would steam it. I'm like, why does she just hate broccoli and cauliflower? Maybe, you know what? Some, some adults don't like it. Maybe she just doesn't like it. And then I thought to myself, do I really like I, first of all, I right. hate vegetables. <laughs> that reminds me of like back in the day when I was personal training and I would tell people to eat their like boneless, skinless, fatless chicken with their steamed vegetables. Gross. I don't yeah, like h- how fun, right? <laughs> yeah. So like as soon as I decided to roast some broccoli and cauliflower, put some sea salt on there, some rosemary, it's like our favorite food now. So sometimes it's just mm. a matter of you know, making those healthy foods really tasty. Yeah, which makes perfectly good sense. I mean, you know, uh, as, as you say, I mean, you know, giving your kids uber plain food that you wouldn't eat yourself. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a no brainer when you think about it, but, yeah. uh, but a, lot of, parents really are, a lot of parents are doing that, you know? I know. Well, yeah. I didn't, it took me a while to figure it out. There was a couple of months that went by then I was like getting you know, why, why can't I get her to eat healthy foods? And then, oh, well, hello, because yeah, it doesn't know, taste very good. Another way that I found um, that works well with, with my kids anyway, is um, they really like soup. Oh, yeah. So, so doing soups, um, soups Great and smoothies idea. are a really good way to just get like the stuff totally. that they might not eat on its own, just slot them into the smoothie or the soup. And there you go. And uh, I, I found Great, that that works yeah. really, really well. Yeah. So, um, what do you feel? I mean, we haven't really spoken about this, but 
do you feel like, um, based on the research and the talks that you've been doing, do you feel like sugar consumption has increased in, in kids' diets or is it sort of remain- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm absolutely. I mean, just when I go grocery shopping and I'm totally one of those nosy neighbors who check out what other people are eating, <laughs> not to be judgy. I'm just actually really curious. I like seeing what people are eating, but just looking at people's grocery carts, everything is sugar, you know, cereals mm. full of sugar and refined carbs and all these different energy snack, all these different snack bars. Um, it's just carbs, carbs, carbs and refined carbohydrates. And, you know, a lot of people are consuming sugars in hidden sources and they don't even know Big time. whether it's, you know, yeah. fruit, fruit on the bottom, yogurt, ketchup, salad dressing, stir fry sauces, all mm-hmm. of these things are just loaded, loaded with sugar. And the scary thing is, you know, children under two shouldn't even have any added sugar whatsoever because then, because they eat so little, that's replacing something healthier. That's taking up space in their gut for something they could be eating that's healthier. So in my opinion, there really isn't a place for added sugars. I think natural sugars, um, depending what we're talking about here, can be fine uh, in a certain to a certain degree. But it's just all the refined processes. Right. So, like small small percentage, you know. I mean, I've always said three to five percent of the diet can be sort of quote unquote added sugar, and ideally using things like maple syrup or honey yes. and so on, right? Um, yes. So, you know, and I, I find that interesting because, you know, I found that the, there's two points I want to bring up here. One is that I think there is not a healthcare professional in the world that is, uh, how, how would I frame this? There's not a healthcare professional in the world that would argue that sugar is good for you. Every single person understands that sugar is no good for you. That's medical doctors, chiropractors, yeah. nutritionists, everyone. And so... What's interesting, you know, and to your second point, the hidden sources, I recently did a 14-day sugar detox with a group of people. Oh, and it was it was great. It was very straightforward. I mean, it was don't eat sugar for 14 days. And here's uh, here's how to read labels. Here's how to do all of this. You know, here's where the hidden sources are. And I tell you what was interesting was by the end of it, it was about a week in, maybe 10 days in, and people were just shocked. They were like, holy smokes, I had no idea that sugar was lurking in all of these things. And mm-hmm. once you start getting people to pay attention to reading labels, the light bulb goes on and they sort of go, wow, like this is crazy. And you know, you add it all up and you, you, you are getting a, a way more than three to 5% of your diet coming from sugars. But I wanted to sort of ask you a question as well, because you know, I've spoken to a lot of parents, I'm sure you have as well. And are kids just sort of hardwired to like carbohydrates, you know, because they're in that sort of building stage, because they have their high energy, yeah. they're burning more calories in a sense. Um, do you feel that, you know, it, it, like, like uh, let me, let me put this another way. You've got people that are trying to do low carb diets with their kids with, right. with not a lot of success. And <laughs> so I kind of wondered to myself, you know, are kids just hardwired to like carbohydrates and there's no way around it or how to, you know, maybe you got some insight on that. Well, I think carbohydrates are so incredibly important, but it's choosing the right kinds of carbs. And I'm sure any parent can agree. I don't know any child who's not a carbohydrate monster. Like if it was up to my daughter, she would eat pasta every single day. Doesn't matter what kind of pasta, she would eat pasta, pizza, because they are burning a lot of energy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think children are carb monsters and I think carbohydrates are a very important macronutrient 
I don't think it's a good idea to put your child on a low carb diet. I think it's a great idea to put your child on a low sugar diet. Yeah. Um, but low carb, definitely not. Um, they need to be eating good fats, proteins, and carbs. So it's all about the quality of the food. You know, right. in North America, most kids are actually totally mal suffering from malnutrition, but yet they're eating a lot of food, but they're not eating any micronutrients. They're not getting all of the phytonutrients. Right, um, empty calories essentially is what we're yes, talking about. Empty yeah. calories. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't want to labor over it, but there there are so many differing opinions on the whole low carb, um, you know, low carb diet for for kids. Um, for sure. So, you know, you've got like Professor Tim Noakes, who I've had on the podcast, he's he's actually quite a big proponent for it. Um, we're not talking keto or anything extreme. We're just saying okay. like high, higher fats, lower carbs really is, right. is what we're talking about. But, you know, when you start tapping into uh, traditional diets, um, even hunter-gatherer diets like the Hadzas, um, the tribes of the Amazon, you'll see that their diets, when you break it all down, is actually 70% carb. Um, yeah. Yet they don't have any diabetes. They don't have the, the the issues that we have. So I think you're correct. You know, the quality of the food is uh, perhaps more important than just sort of counting carbs, um, in, yeah. in, especially for kids, you know, because they are, they do have such a high uh, metabolism. Uh, generally speaking, you know, they can definitely burn that off. But what's interesting for me as well, I mean, perhaps you have some insight into this is the rates of diabetes. You know, I mean, they've actually mm -hmm. changed the wording for type 2 diabetes, it used to be called adult onset diabetes. And because so many kids are getting it, they basically scrapped adult onset and they just went with type 2. Oh, so and then that. when you couple that, couple that, obviously we know metabolic syndrome, which is, you know, diabetes, fat metabolism yes. issues. So now you've got a lot of kids that are overweight or obese. Um, wow. you know, and, and that's got to have some serious implications in the long run. You know, I, I don't think we're fully seeing that play out yet, but no. the next 15 to 20 years is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. I actually just did a presentation the other week on metabolic syndrome, and I was reading some really interesting research and stats about kids, like, for example, um, kids who either eat a crappy breakfast or skip breakfast altogether are at a much higher risk of developing metabolic syndrome as adults. Interesting. 60% um, of kids in Canada are actually considered overweight or obese. Wow. I, so, I thought it was lower than that. So 60% is kind of crazy. I thought it was a third, but uh, yeah, that, that maybe, number has, has definitely changed over the last 10 years. Maybe if we're just talking obese, um, but yeah, mm. overweight or obese. Um, yeah. And diabetes, like 33,000 kids in Canada um, have type one diabetes. Type one. So, and then do, do you know stats on type two diabetes by any chance? I don't actually. Cause it must um, be much higher than type one. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And the crazy thing for me is that type two diabetes, you know, type one is a different kettle of fish, you know, um, you yeah. autoimmune and infections and stuff like that. But type two, I mean, that's an acquired chronic degenerative disease that is mm -hmm. fueled by diet and lifestyle. And oh, so absolutely. it's kind of crazy that kids, I mean, I think the youngest I've seen is three, you know, actually having type two diabetes, which is just mind blowing. It's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I think there's so many factors, like with anything, I don't think there's like one single factor. No. I think it's a variety of different causes. Mm. Um, you know, I think the microbiome plays such an important role in the health of children and specifically their gut health. Um, so... Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think there's like one single cause. I think it's a whole array uh, of issues. 
Right. Well, you know, you spoke earlier about screen time and obviously when you're sitting in front of a screen, you're not moving. So yeah. you know, let, let, let's talk about exercise because surely, I mean, lack of exercise must be a major factor that ties into all of this. For sure. So, you know, participation, which is like the most comprehensive assessment of kids activity in Canada. They, um, I think it was 20, yeah, the 2018 report card, they gave Canadian kids a D plus for their level oh, wow. of activity. D plus, holy so, smoke. Yeah, and I'm sure it would not be much different in the States as well and other places around the world. But movement is so important. Um, you know, our, our children's brain, their heart, their microbiome absolutely depend on it. And from like, you know, a brain health perspective, you know, kids who research shows, this is no secret. And I'm sure most of you know this, that, you know, kids who do participate in physical activity, do better in school because they have a better attention span. They can focus longer. They their memory. Better. Yep, they sleep better. Mm-hmm. And that's the same goes for adults too, right? right. You know, <laughs> you have a good workout because you're like, oh, so exhausted by nine nine thirty. Yeah. And also, improvements in memories. You know, sections of the brain that are dedicated to memory and learning, like the hippocampus and the basal ganglia, are actually larger in active children helps reduce their anxiety and stress. Like evidence shows that active children are more resilient when it comes to dealing with stress and recovering faster from stress. Mm. So, you know, what were we going to say? No, no, that's, I, I was just, you know, agreeing with you. Um, one of the things that I love about my son's uh, daycare is it's mandatory for them to spend two hours outside every day. That's amazing. So an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon. And get this, uh, the cutoff for the temperature, because we're sitting in Canada up in the snow belt, is minus 15. I know. Right? So, so, I know this is the same as my daughter's school. I'm always like, oh, my gosh. But in a way, it's so good, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, so, so the, the interesting thing for me, because this came up, you know, parents were like, well, is my kid going outside? It's really cold. And they said, you know, government guidelines say yeah. that up till minus 15, you're still going outside. Um, which, which is awesome, you know, because again, I, I don't want to get into this, uh, on this show, but you know, the benefits of actually being exposed to cold yeah, is, is another, you know, you've got, uh, Wim Hof or Wim Hof, um, you know, he, he's, he's been banging on about that for years and years and years. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And of course the kids all just run around and have a grand old time and, um, you know. Oh, it feels so good. And I, you know, it's so funny because similar to where my daughter goes to school, you can always tell like the days when they really can't go out, the kids just have like this like nervous, ex- not nervous, but this excess energy and the teachers all look so exhausted. <laughs> I think the teachers, the, or the daycare instructors, they really appreciate it that the kids can go out and like burn off that energy. It's, it's good for everybody. Yeah. Gives, also, gives them a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And also just from a microbiome perspective, there's really interesting research actually on how your microbiome responds to exercise. And regardless of what you eat, exercise has been shown to increase and enrich your gut microbial diversity. And from a gut health perspective, how many kids, I'm sure every parent can relate listening to this, has your child ever suffered from constipation? Such a common problem. And just getting your kids to exercise increases circulation and in, and definitely influences transit stool time. So meaning like when kids are not pooping regularly, if you get them running around, they'll, they'll start pooping. And I remember when Vienna was just learning to walk and there were, t- there were a couple of times when we introduced new foods and she would get like bunged up 
And all I would do is I would like literally chase her around the living room. And, and, and if she was <laughs> constipated, she would always poop awesome. after like having, you know, whatever with like a really little one, like 10 minutes of like, you know, running around vigorously, then she'd go to the washroom. So, and the same goes for grownups too. You know, we, you, people complain constipation is, you know what, that's the number one question I get on my blog over the last 10 years. That is the number one thing huh, interesting. about is constipation. And is that, that for that, adults and for kids? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The number one question I also get. So I'm like my contact farmer and my like general delivery inbox. It's the most common question still over all these years. It's always the constipation. So I think there's, I don't know what the wow. exact stats are on all that, but there's a lot well, of constipated people. Yeah, well, I mean, what what is interesting is uh, laxatives are one of the top selling classes of of medication out there. Um, so, there you go. So there you go. That kind of all ties in together. And of course, um, as you know, uh, one of my sort of heroes in the world of nutrition, uh, Dr. Bernard Jensen, who's no longer yes. with us. I mean, this is a guy that saw three hundred and fifty thousand patients, and every single one of them had poor bowel function basically and he sort of coined the phrase death begins in the colon right so um you know so yeah go figure um and of course the most common reason for doctors is it's is in fact gi complaints or digestion uh, digestive complaints so i think yeah i'm not surprised that you're getting those types of questions on your blog but joy um look i know that you're you know we we are sort of um heading into the close here just i want to honor your time as well so i want to sort of move things forward and in, in well sort of come back to something that we spoke about earlier. And that is, uh, we've spoken a fair bit about microbiome, about gut health in children and so on. And you're actually coming out with a new product with Genuine Health, right? So perhaps that, yeah. Yeah, so I've partnered with them to create a kid's line. Um, And so we are, it's coming out um, in by mid-April. It'll be at your health food store. You can buy it online, whether you live in Canada or the States. And so we are doing together a fermented organic superfood for gut health for kids. Is that a powder? It is a powder, yep. And it has a prebiotic in it as well that is like bloat, I want to say bloat friendly, (laughs) bloat free. Um, What what prebiotic is that? So it's called Vita Fiber. It's an organic tapioca. Okay. So kids do not get bloated at all. It has 22 organic superfoods. So everything from pomegranate to bitter melon, black currant. It tastes really good. And it's really great for parents who struggle with kids who are picky eaters. Um, this is not to replace a healthy diet, mm-hmm. uh, but you can put it in a smoothie. Kids who drink juice, you can put this powder into water and they're going to think they're getting juice. Oh, nice. Okay. So it dissolves quite, well, not dissolves, but you know what I mean? It mixes, mixes well. Yeah. It mixes really well. Um, and then you're helping it is. So so all of the, um, superfoods that have been chosen for this product are very high in polyphenols, uh, and phytonutrients. And we know that these types of phytonutrients actually encourage the growth of microbes. So in addition to having the prebiotic in there, which is like the best friend to a probiotic, um, all of these nutrient dense superfoods also encourage the growth of gut microbes. So, okay, and it takes nice. like 10, 10 pounds of fresh fruits, organic fresh fruits and veggies to make one pound. Of nice. Wow. So super, super nutrient dense, very concentrated. Yeah, totally. So that's exciting. And then I think the thing that has me more excited um, is the probiotic. Yes. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about that. 
So this particular probiotic, it's a 5 billion. Um, and actually at manufacturer, of course, they put in 15 billion. So by expiry, you know, you're getting five. Uh, but it's a multi-strain, which I'm a big fan of. So it's seven balanced strains. And in 75% of the research evaluating multi-species versus individual species, the multi-strain is always more effective. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. It yeah. makes sense, right? Like you don't have one strain of bacteria. Oh, we've actually identified a thousand so far. Yes, exactly. um, So, you know, and the most comprehensive probiotic I've found on the market is 29 strains. So, Amazing. you know, go, go figure. Yeah. So just taking one or two, I mean, I've, I never even recommend that for any of my clients in my practice. Um, so, yeah, so multi-strain is definitely where it's at. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that this actual strains that have been selected for this probiotic are really important too, because there's actually a lot of available research. So we've selected Lactobacillus rhamnosus, Acidophilus, Reutery, and some others. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, there's a total of seven, but these are all clinically proven to be um, very effective. Like, for example, um, Reutery, is uh, there's over 100 research publications, mostly focused on digestive health for children. So reducing mm -hmm. abdominal pain and discomfort, constipation, diarrhea. L-Rotary is known to be a natural resident of a healthy gut in children, reduces bloating. Um, Remnosis is actually among the most researched probiotic for promoting childhood health, um, specifically for immune support, healthy development, reduction of respiratory tract infections. I could honestly go on and on about. No, that's awesome. Um, but you know, these are. I'm very familiar with these uh, strains that you're talking about. So it's uh, it's nice to see them. In there. And I know that the research as well on both of those is uh, is is very good uh, for candida and yeast as well. Yes. So yes. like a natural antifungal, quote unquote. Um, and I think it's really important to give a child a probiotic because we know that a reduced diversity of gut bacteria in children is absolutely linked with the development of allergies and asthma. Yeah. And yeah. it's in a chewable. Now, for those of you listening who know a little bit about the natural health industry and particularly probiotics, you might be thinking, oh, but it's all destroyed when the tablet is made. So the older technology of making a probiotic chewable basically destroyed all the probiotic the beneficial bacteria when it was compressed into a tablet. But with this particular probiotic, there's a honeycomb technology used so that it protects it when the probiotic is actually made. And also there's strains in there that are, there's been research that has been shown that um, chewable probiotics are very, very good for the oral microbiome. Yeah. yeah. Also for the throat. So preventing, um, you know, helping to prevent throat infections. And, you know, if you have a healthy oral microbiome, this is going to support the whole entire body. So even though it is a chewable and you're chewing it in your mouth and then swallowing it, there are many of these are acid resistant strains. For sure, no matter what, if it's a chewable, um, some of the bacteria is going to be destroyed by your stomach acid. Um, so it's just, I, I think this is a much better option than doing, say, a liquid um, or a powder. Um, I, for many years, gave, well, not my daughter's only three and a half, but before this was available, I was giving my daughter, um, I was just mixing a powder just in a bit of water. But the problem is that these powders, every time you take the cap off, bacteria is so sensitive to humidity changes, temperature change. You have mm -hmm. so much die off that honestly, by the time I got to the bottom of the bottle, like who knows how much was even alive. Still. Right. So, well, and, and the other thing as well, I mean, 
it, trying to get a powder probiotic into a kid is just it's yeah it's uh, it just doesn't work i mean straight up you know and i found that um as you've said you know the liquid i've never really been a huge fan of the liquids um capsules same thing you can open the capsules up and you got a powder um again trying to get that yeah. your kid is difficult so totally. i found that switching over to a chewable has actually made a huge difference uh you know in terms of actually getting the probiotics in totally um, and they taste good too that's right. So I, I, I've actually had to sort of pump the brakes on the probiotics because my little guy, Max, he's uh, <laughs> he wants more and more. And I'm like, dude, that you can't so have like, more and more. Like there's a threshold here. So Yeah, they <laughs> so. think it's candy. Well, this morning when I sent Vienna off to school, she's like, I didn't have my vitamin D and fishy oil, she called it. I'm like, uh, yeah, you did. No, no, no. It's yeah. <laughs> like a whole big thing. I'm like, no, you had it. You remember. You're just trying to get some more. <laughs> hey, good good habits to cultivate, right? So that's yeah. uh, not the worst thing we could be doing. Um, and then was there a third product in yes. that line? Yeah. Yes, sir. There's one more thing I wanted to mention, though, about the probiotic mm -hmm. is that the research doesn't support, for children specifically, doesn't support massive volumes. So the majority of the research is on 1 to 10 billion. So that's why um, we chose a 5 billion because a lot of the research, is that's the aboriginal and 5 billion doses is found to be widely um, effective for kids. Mm. And then the third one is an omega-3 um, plus D3 because a lot of, because we know Canadian children are very deficient in vitamin D um, and then also lutein. Uh, so all in it, so it's it's uh, not a capsule. It's in just a tasty cherry flavor. And with genuine health, they have like a, with when it comes to flavoring. You know, some of your listeners might be wondering, well, what chemicals make that up? But they have like a whole list of banned substances um, that are not allowed in their products. So you know, you can trust a brand um, to not have junk in there. So it's just a really easy way to get you know both epa and dha um to get is, is, is that a fish oil yes yeah, a fish oil sorry did i not even say that <laughs> no that's okay i knew it yeah. was omega-3 i figured it was fish oil but just for our listeners um probably important to point that out yes a very important point so fish oil and we know that you know epa and dha are key nutrients in a child's brain development yeah. Yeah. and kids as i mentioned earlier in the podcast kids have been found to have less they're getting less omega-3s than their parents. Um, and so they're deficient. Kids are not eating fish, really. Um, and the average child, anyways, is not eating fish. They're not getting enough vitamin D. And the lutein, I think, is really important because lutein um, is a carotenoid often found in, like, kale and anything, like, leafy green vegetables. But it's actually really important for eye and brain health, and it's really concentrated in the actual retina um of the eye and um lutein is actually helps to filter out blue light so actually protecting the eye from oxidative damage cool that's why the lutein is in there because you know it's just a reality that a lot of canadian that a lot of north american kids are getting too much screen time so of course you know from a lifestyle perspective reducing their screen time to i would say no more than an hour um, and less if you can, um, especially if you're starting out with them young. Like I was saying earlier, like my daughter, I don't let her watch more than like a, a, a Paw Patrol, which I think is two episodes in 25 minutes. But the lutein uh, is, is pretty exciting. Um, and it, it plays, it actually um, is one of the only carotenoids to actually that's capable of crossing the blood brain barrier. 
oh, cool. into the eye, eye's macular pigment and the primary carotenoid found in human brain tissue. So wow, great. I, I yeah. did not know that. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a critical component of brain health and eye health, both early in life and as well as in aging. So actually when this, this product is not actually out yet, it's going to be out by probably the time this podcast comes out, the fish oil. But I'm going to be taking this because I definitely spend quite a bit of time in front of a screen. And, you know, just after doing all this research myself on blue light, I was saying to my husband earlier, I said, you know what? We should just not like never be on our computer at night. I know that's a bit of a bold statement for someone who works for themselves, but honestly, if blue light, it, it's just so damaging in so many different yeah. ways. Yeah, well, you know, the, the blue lights coupled with um, EMFs, uh, I'll just sort yeah. of add my two cents here because I've been researching a lot about all of this stuff. Um, you know, we've got 5G coming out soon, which uh, I'm terrified for 5G network. Um, but, yeah, tell me more. Well, some of the research that I'm looking at is essentially what happens with blue lights. Um, obviously, we know that it suppresses melatonin production. Um, yeah. uh, we, we know that it messes up your circadian rhythm. So the day night cycles, but on a cellular level, it's actually messing with your mitochondria, oh, which is geez. interesting. And so what it's doing, you sort of have what's called a quantum clock inside your cells and it's actually disrupting that quantum clock. So you, you'll notice how, you know, this, I know we talk a lot about food, but you know, how is it that people eating different foods all get the same illness? I know. And and then the flip side of that is why do different diets work for different people when it comes to remedying chronic health issues? And so a lot of it now is sort of, you know, I'm sort of coming around to this where I'm like, holy smokes, electromagnetic frequencies and blue light, because we're looking so much at screens, you know, they're now talking with 5G that every single device is going to be equipped with a 5G adapter. You know, oh, basic things. So like your light switches at home, I mean, they're already doing this in the stores in the US. So if you walk into a Target, every yeah. single light bulb is, is equipped with a, with a Wi-Fi connector. So oh as you walk God. through that store, it basically tracks your movements through the store so they can do product placement. That is terrifying. It's I crazy, no right? You know, so, so, so the point is, is that as we move further into the sort of technology space, and we've got more devices, we've got more smart, you know, smart devices that are connected, smart TVs, all that sort of stuff. I mean, even smart meters on the house. The problem now is that, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the electromagnetics, particularly, they don't actually escape the atmosphere. Um, right. they, 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 so all of the EMFs that we've produced stay trapped in our in on earth basically so they're just building up and so i think you're correct you know i mean it's one thing to say don't look at computers which is very challenging for most of us you know especially for at sure. night but this is why um getting into blue blue light blocking you know technology so glasses that do that filters on computer screens tvs and so on and then of course emf yes. protectors are huge um, both, you know, putting putting protectors on your phone, um, putting them on computers and so on. I think that's, you know, it's inescapable. So we kind of have to look at using other technology to try and mitigate the negative health impacts of these things. Because computers so and yeah. phones are not going away anytime soon. They're here to stay. You're so right. I yeah. do have blue blocking glasses, but I have to research them because the brand I have doesn't actually have a tint to them. They're like these glasses from Australia. They're really popular over there and they mm. sent me a pair. But I actually thought it was interesting that the lens is actually clear. 
Yeah, not so, all of them actually have a, a, a yellow or orange lens. A lot of them, a lot of them have a clear lens. Okay, I have then I have very stylish blue blocking glasses. I got oh, the stylish I, ones too, right? I don't want to look like I'm going hunting or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I need to share those because I totally, I totally wear them. But I, you know what? Like when I was reading all this research, I was like, you know what? I just really need to be on my computer less. Like you're absolutely right, though. All the suggestions you've given are amazing. But I just think to myself, we just need to like disconnect a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and actually reconnect with each other and with nature. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so Joy, I'm going to let you get going because I know you have uh, another uh, appointment to get to. But it was a real pleasure to sit down with you and chat. Um, I, you know, it's always a good time when we connect. And uh, I know that our listeners have probably learned a lot from you on this podcast. So thank you for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Such a topic I thoroughly enjoy talking about. So thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you about it. And um, uh, last, before I let you go, what have you got going on these days? Anything you want to share with people? Where can people find you? Um, I will be putting links down in the oh, show perfect. notes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So my blog is joyoushealth.com. So J-O-Y-O-U-S health. Com, and I create tons of recipes. That's really what I'm very passionate about, creating accessible, delicious recipes for people. My third cookbook comes out later this year. Uh, and yeah, there's so many other random things going on. But you know what? If you want to if you want to find out more, you can also find me on Instagram at Joyous Health. Awesome. All right. Now I'm going to throw those links down for you guys listening. Um, as always, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing, leaving us a review, and of course, sharing this with friends, family, and your community. So thanks again, Joy. Thank you, Brett. Awesome. And for those of you listening, you have a beautiful day out there wherever you are. <laughs>